What's poppin' people? Welcome back to Sunday School. Sunday School is a show where we read through the Bible and we try to understand what God's Word means and how we can apply it to our lives. Now today we're going to be getting into Romans chapter 8. And we've been doing a you know Bible study on the whole book of Romans for the past month or two. And the book of Romans is a book on the gospel, right? It's kind of like a summary of the whole Bible. It's not a substitute for reading the whole Bible, but it's like breaking down the main themes and kind of explaining what we as like individuals as christians are supposed to take away from the old testament take away from the gospels and how we're supposed to live our lives post having this understanding right and so we covered the first seven chapters and the book of romans i think is divided into three main parts and i think a bug just landed on my head ugh but the book of Romans is divided into, there it is, I swatted out of the air, hopefully it'll stop bothering me now. But the book of Romans is divided into three main parts, right? The first two chapters establish the basic things that you need to know before you can get saved. So it covers God's existence, and then it covers how God's going to judge us all when we die, and good people go to heaven, and bad people go to hell. Then from chapter 3 to chapter 7, the book of Romans changes topics from the pre-salvational, you know, works-based, getting to heaven, being judged by the law, and it gets into salvation, right? It gets into the concept of how we're all sinners, and so we all deserve to go to hell because we've sinned. But Jesus died for us on the cross, and because of that, we can go to heaven. Now, chapter 8 begins a new subject. So, up until chapter 7, we've been learning about how salvation works and why we need to get saved and the mechanisms behind it, the spiritual realities that we can't see. It also answers some basic questions like, well, can we still sin if we're not saved by our works, you know, and things like that. Chapter 8 and onwards to the end of the book of Romans is about the post-salvational state. So chapter 3 through 7, that's about how you get saved, what does it mean to be saved, and what are the mechanisms behind it? You know, like, what did Jesus do? From 8 forward, the book of Romans covers, now that I'm saved, you know, what do I do with my life? Now that I'm saved, what's next? Now, the reason I bring all this up is because like I established since the very first episode and have repeated from time to time, the book of Romans is one continuous argumentative essay. It's establishing a continual flow of thought that builds upon the things which we previously learned and is coming to an ultimate conclusion. The conclusion that it wants to point us towards is that we should have faith that is unwavering in Christ and that we should become righteous people who live right and act right. But many people, they read the book of Romans or they read just any book in the Bible and they get confused because some books or some pieces of books, some partial sections 
are dedicated to before salvation. Like the book of Matthew is a book about the law. It's not a book about how to get saved. It's not a book about the gospel of Jesus Christ in the sense that like, how do you get saved? How do you get to heaven? How do you get right with God? The book of Matthew is about the pre-salvational state when we're being judged by our works. And the book of Matthew, the point of the book is that we're all going to hell. The book of John is a book on how to get saved. Most of Paul's epistles are arguments between the pre-salvational and post-salvational state between people who are either arguing that we need to keep the law or people that are arguing that we need to believe in Jesus to get saved. So faith plus works or faith alone. The books after Paul's epistle, like James, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, they're all about now that you're saved, what do you do? But people get confused and they mix things up together and they say that like all of this is something that we need to throw at a baby Christian who doesn't know anything, who it maybe not even be saved. And it leads to all sorts of heresy because they just get confused about who this text is for. The fact is that if you have not understood the first seven chapters of Romans, you're not going to understand chapter eight. Chapter eight will just pop your mind. Chapter 9 is going to pop your mind. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. If you open up the Bible and the first book you read is Revelation, you're going to be totally confused. We need to read things in context and we need to read the full context of every book contained in the Bible so that we can understand the full point that the book's trying to make rather than just cherry picking out a particular portion of it. So chapter 8 covers a plethora of topics in it. I don't think that there's necessarily one overarching topic, but if there is an overarching topic, the overarching topic is we're saved, so now what? I understand that we need to get saved because we're sinful and we deserve to go to hell. I understand that Jesus died for my sins and I understand that all I need to do is believe in what Jesus did in order to be forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now for most of you, if you're not reading the King James Version like I read, that's where that verse ends. It just says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But the King James Version says something different. It doesn't say that there's absolutely no condemnation for people that believe in Jesus. It says something else. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now the things after this comma change the meaning of the sentence. Many people want to act like Bible translations are all interchangeable and they all say the same thing. And I do say that sometimes because in a way that's true. I think you can get saved reading the NIV. And I believe you can get saved reading Probably even like the Passion Translation, which is one of the worst translations there are. I wouldn't recommend, you know, reading it because it'll probably lead you into heresy. But, you know, I believe it's possible to get saved, right? But the fact is that just because there's a general like similarity between all these different translations doesn't mean that they are interchangeable. The fact is that if you're not reading the King James Version, you are reading an inferior translation of the Bible. 
Now, I understand some people can't read the King James Version because it's this, you know, old Middle English kind of weird version of English where the word choices are kind of weird that you wouldn't use in normal everyday speech. But when you look throughout every other translation, even good translations that people recommend to me and that I would recommend to people that can't read the King James Version, like the ESV or the Christian Standard Bible, when you read them, you will see many places in almost every chapter in the NIV, right? There is a missing verse. There's just a whole verse just removed from it. It'll, it'll jump from 13 to 15, just verse 14, just totally gone. Same thing with the ESV, though it's not as bad. And even if it's not missing verses, though, you'll have partial pieces of verses that are just missing like Romans 8.1. And this is such a big problem because with Romans 8.1, to change this one verse totally changes the message of the verse. If you read it in the NIV and you read Romans 8.1, it says that there is absolutely no condemnation for anyone who is saved. However, when you read Romans 8.1 in the King James Version, it says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus if which means that there's also something else that we need to do in order to make sure we don't face condemnation, whatever condemnation means. We have to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. Now, why is there this discrepancy? The people that support these other translations will probably tell you that it's because there was a textual error in the Bible. Now, I've made a whole video getting into all these different translations. It's a video on James 2.14, Faith Without Works is Dead. And in that, I really dive into the whole translation issue. It's on YouTube, your friendly hood on YouTube. But the King James Version is much more accurate to the original writings of the apostles than any other translation. In my opinion, though, I think the reason that this verse is altered in every other translation, or at least contemporary translation, is because they just don't like what it says. Most of these translations are translated by like high church Protestants, and high church Protestants are Calvinists. Calvinists essentially believe that there is no free will and that people are predestined from the day they're born to either be saved or be damned. You're predestined from birth to either go to heaven or face condemnation in hell. They say that it's not based on your works because you cannot control your works. A Calvinist believes that it's impossible for someone who is saved to do evil, and it's not possible for an atheist who's unsaved to do good works. But for Romans to say that there is condemnation facing us if we don't do a particular thing would violate this theological position that there is no free will and that our free will does not affect our condemnation. And even non-Calvinist Protestants, which I guess you could consider me as one in a way, I would say that there's no condemnation in hell awaiting anyone who is saved. So if this verse is talking about going to hell, then I'm screwed because it's not by faith alone and I've been wrong this entire time. But in my opinion, I believe that this portion of the verse is supposed to be here. And when we read it in context, it's not talking about condemnation in hell, but it's talking about a different kind of condemnation. There is therefore now 
no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So Paul restates a little bit of what we learned in Romans 6 and 7, which is that righteousness cannot come through the law. The law the Ten Commandments and the other 613 commandments that make up the Torah, they teach us what righteousness is, but they are incapable of making us righteous, right? The fact is that everyone knows about morality and nobody is ever trying to just do evil. Everyone thinks that they're right in their own mind and they try to follow after righteousness and they try to be a good person. Most people have a moral code similar to the Ten Commandments. And so if everyone's trying to follow the Ten Commandments, everyone should go to heaven. But yet, as we know from the Bible, most people go to hell. Jesus says that the path to hell is wide and many are on it and the path to heaven is narrow and few find it. And this is because... While most people attempt to be righteous and attempt to be a good person and attempt to follow the Ten Commandments, everyone fails. Nobody ever succeeds in trying to be righteous, in repenting of their sins. The fact is, even most Christians that I know, even the Faith Plus Works Christians who believe we have to keep the Torah, like Bryson Gray, will readily admit to you that they sin regularly. Bryson Gray believes in keeping the Ten Commandments. I believe it is the Fifth or Sixth Commandment, I don't remember exactly, that says you have to keep the Sabbath. And Bryson will tell you that he doesn't keep the Sabbath because it's one of the hardest commandments to keep. But you know, the Jews kept it pretty well. And in the Bible, if you broke the Sabbath, you were supposed to be put to death. So the fact is, even these law keepers don't follow the law because if they were following the law, then whenever someone would break the Sabbath, they should bash out their skull with a big rock. But if we do that, that's murder. Then... Uh, maybe rethink your theological position. But the fact is the law points us to righteousness, but everyone falls short. Everyone that I've seen who's a non-Christian, who's unsaved, is in a constant cycle of sin that takes them further than they want it to go and longer than they want it to stay. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. But Jesus coming to earth was able to do the thing which the law was incapable of doing keeping us from sinning and ultimately making us righteous, right? When you put your faith in Jesus, we know from the Bible that you become righteous in the eyes of God. And I know from my own experience that I have found the willpower to overcome many of my sin issues. And one last thing that I want to cover before we move on to the rest of this little passage. It says in verse 3, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and condemned sin in the flesh. Which is very reminiscent of another verse in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God has made Jesus to be sin for us 
who knew no sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. What Paul's stating here is the gospel summarized. Again, the word of God is very redundant, which is why even in a bad translation, you can still get saved because while they might mess up a few verses, there's no way they can mess it all up. But the gospel is that we're sinners, but that Jesus came down from heaven and disguised himself as a sinner and took the punishment. He he put on our clothes, he got our hair cut, he bleached his skin. If, he, he bleached his skin or maybe he took some, you know, melanin implants if you're black, you know. He disguised himself as us, essentially, and he essentially went to hell as us so that we could take his spot in heaven. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, it says it again. There's no condemnation if we walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. The righteousness of the law is fulfilled if we walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. What is this talking about? Well, let's keep reading. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. What this is talking about is the two natures that make up a person that I've been talking about through the past couple of episodes. Right, the human body has two parts, the spirit and the flesh. The higher man and the base man. Right, the caveman, animalistic part of us and the high, you know, intellectual part of us. And he's talking about how you can follow the will of the flesh. And the will of the flesh is to experience total hedonistic pleasure. To experience no pain and only happiness. That is the will of the flesh. The will of the spirit is to achieve greatness and to achieve high art and to be a good person. And so while these wills are not necessarily always in conflict, they can be in conflict. And he's saying that you can either, with your mind, focus on the things of the spirit, and therefore you will not fall into the sin, you will not fall into the will of the flesh, or if with your mind you focus on the flesh and what the flesh wants and you rank that higher than what the spirit wants, then you're going to fall into sin. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man has not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you are a Christian and you believe in Jesus... You are in the spirit. You are not in the flesh. As a Christian, you don't have to crucify the flesh. You don't have to mortify your flesh. In the eyes of God, your flesh, your body, the sinful parts of you that have committed the sins in this world, it's dead. 
Your flesh is dead. Your flesh is crucified on the cross with Jesus. As a Christian, you are, just by being a believer, in the spirit. Being being in the spirit is not something that you have to do. It is something that you are. It is a state. By nature, when you are born into this earth from your mother's womb, you are born into the flesh. You are, by nature, in the flesh. But as Jesus says, in order to inherit the kingdom of God, you need to be born into the spirit. You need to be reborn, born again. So what happens when you get saved is not a personal lifestyle change, but it is a change of your fundamental nature, right? And this is a struggle for many Christians to understand this because like with Abraham, God's telling me I'm dead and that in God's eyes, I'm in the spirit. I'm in the body of Christ. I'm My spirit is married to Christ's body, not my body. But in my physical reality, I might still sin. In my physical reality, I am in the world. I'm in the material plane. I am. My body is made out of flesh. I'm not a ghost. I'm not in the spirit, whatever the spirit is, whatever a spirit looks like. I'm not in the spirit with my eyes. I can't see that. But you are in the spirit as a Christian. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. You've already been punished for your sin and you are alive to God now. You can't be held under double jeopardy. You can't be punished again for the same sins. You're going to heaven if you believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So someday in the future, just like how Jesus rose from the dead, you're going to see that the graves are going to open up. All the graves behind me of the saved folk in here are going to open up and that they're going to walk out of their grave just like Jesus did. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. So to answer this question about condemnation, there is condemnation that a Christian can face who's saved. That condemnation is death, physical death, like you get buried in the graveyard there. It is not going to hell. But if we, after we get saved, continue to walk after the flesh and continue to do the deeds of the flesh, it says in the Bible that God will chastise us. And if we continue to walk in the flesh, that punishment that we get where it's hard times, right? Tribulations that we go through as a result of our sin, those hard times will ultimately blossom into death. As it says in James, when sin is fully finished, it blossoms into death. And you will be killed by God. You'll get into a car accident. You might just, your heart will stop. And God does this so that he can save the soul 
through the death of the body. It talks about this in 1 Corinthians, that sometimes you need to pray to God for a sinful Christian who's in deep, deep sin, like he's a child predator, or he's a total drug addict or something, but he alleges to be saved. You got to pray to God that he'll kill this man's body so that his spirit can be saved, because if he keeps living, his sin is ultimately going to drag him away from faith in Christ. So as a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, you can't go to hell, but God will punish you for your sins on this earth, in this life that we have right now in the flesh. But you will still have eternal life. So that's all. Hope I wasn't too long-winded in this one. Thanks for watching. See you next time. Peace.